Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal. This is my guest, Ethan Bartlett, and we're going to talk about books, but not about scotch. We're not even drinking scotch today. No, we're not. We're not drinking scotch because we're talking online to one another. We're in different rooms. We're not in the same room. We're in different states. We're, yes. Different states, states of, of being. Mind. Uh, I'm glad we did both of that different. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Good, yes, and we're both quarantined and yes. alone, and neither of us just... are sick at this time, but we're doing no. our part for the uh, right, the national for, for the greater good sick project. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and along those lines, with the idea of you know getting sick and and stuff, we're going to be discussing a story by Oscar Wilde entitled i'm trying to get a, a, a segue in there yeah somewhere. I, was, I was wondering where, where the I, I felt like i had missed a step where you yeah. where the segue was I, but i see if i hadn't called attention to it everyone would just silently be thinking wait did i miss something and no one would want to bring it up it's like that and... xkcd about the guy's hobby being uh, uh saying no pun intended at the end of phrases with no pun in them <laughs> it's great uh yes exactly exactly just like that um yes we are discussing the canterville ghost by oscar wilde um because ethan do you want to tell the the listener why we elected to read something by oscar wilde um i don't remember if there was a reason other than me just sort of suggesting it was there you suggested it yeah well you suggested it because you were on a trip Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, no, I was feeling in an Irish mood because I did, uh, at towards the end of January, when we didn't know not to go on trips yet, I did uh, get to spend about a week and a half in Ireland, um, which was sort of a lifelong dream of mine and um, will also incept me sort of not probably being able to not bring it up uh, forever anytime we record this podcast. Not because I bring it up that frequently, but just because of like <laughs> any given one to four hours of my conversation, it will come up at least four times. So um, that's going to happen. But yeah, I, we, we needed a topic for a special. I was feeling in an Irish mood, um, and I love and adore oscar wilde both the the classic works and the ones that the critics agree are quite bad um and everything in between so and, uh yeah that <laughs> put me in that mood even though like i didn't i didn't really well i i saw uh um oh now i can't remember the name of the park so that just it's all my credit gone to gone to pieces i did see go. a famous statue of oscar wilde downtown dublin um and but i i saw i saw the house that i believe he was born in or or grew up in i didn't get to go inside it uh sure but so i guess i saw a little bit of oscar wilde i saw much more of james joyce stuff while i was in dublin um Hmm. so it it, like i got to go to sweeney's pharmacy the, the pharmacy mentioned in chapter five of ulysses which is um a wonderful place if anyone happens to ever get to dublin it's it's a they've they have it sort of recreated as much as possible and it's it's the real location where a real pharmacy was that that uh joyce went to and and sort of just sort of plopped down into um ulysses uh (laughs) so i spent a lot of time there and, and talking to some joyce enthusiasts um so i guess that would have been the more appropriate pick um but yeah. on the other hand, we would need a four hour, like a four part, you know, four episodes to pick apart one page of a, of a Joyce story properly. <laughs> so um, perhaps a little uh, ec- more economical to go with wild. And again, I do right. love them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's maybe, a, maybe one of these days we'll do a, some Joyce as a, as a Mongo book or something. Yeah, which is like Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man is like 250 pages long, and we could easily spend four episodes on it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. 
let alone if we were stupid enough to do Ulysses. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, you know, history has taught us that we are... Um, nothing if not foolhardy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so, well, um, should we uh, dive into into this, this book, Ethan? Yeah, this, um, uh, this really this a story. short story, I guess. Short story. Um, uh, before that, would you yeah, let the... us know what you're drinking? Oh, of course. So I have elected to um, make myself a cocktail. Uh, one of the uh, benefits of being like an ingredients hoarder just in <laughs> the course of normal life is I do have... It's It's been dwindling, but I still have a fair amount of cocktail ingredients. Um to see one through here uh so my cocktail today is called the country club um Mm. and it i got it out of the waldorf astoria uh bar book or cocktail book i don't have it in front of me so i don't remember the exact title um but it's a it's one that was popular at the waldorf in new york city uh before prohibition um and it involves white rum dry vermouth uh triple sack and orange bitters um which sounded like a wild combination of ingredients uh when i first Mm -hmm. read this recipe and it is but it's it's quite good it's it's one of those ones that somehow the whole that it makes uh transcends the the different parts um so yeah i quite i quite like it Hmm. michael what are you drinking today um, I'm drinking, I kind of did something where I just mixed together some ingredients myself. Um, <laughs> so a cocktail is, is what we a call cocktail. it. A cocktail, you know. Oh yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's uh, some bourbon, triple sec, and uh, bitters. The the, oh. the bitters you gave me, the bitter truth stuff. Oh. Um, it's, it's very yummy. And um, I, I looked up basically just those ingredients online the closest thing i'm finding to that is a bourbon sidecar but that usually doesn't have bitters and does have lemon juice yeah a sidecar um, is like is a form of a of a sour it's a variation sure. of sour and it's so not sour it's it's not sour because it doesn't have the lemon juice right so. yeah no that's so to make it a sidecar you'd have to have the, the lemon juice um i so it's like it's I've you heard... know it's it's like kind of old fashioned but Yeah. No, it would it would be like there's there's something called like an improved whiskey cocktail, which I think was popular mm-hmm. hundred and fifty or so years ago and never again after that, but um that was one where you'd take like an old fashioned template and add a little bit of uh um either like curacao triple sec or like grenadine or something. Mm-hmm. Um I've tried them before, and they always come out very sweet for my taste, but I think, like, uh, not adding any sugar besides the, the curacao would probably be, um, or besides the triple sec. That would, that would, that would be the way to do it in my, uh, very dry taste and opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I like that. That's cool. <laughs> it's like, what I'm yeah, saying it's, is it's, it's like, it's, it's, good. it's very close to a recipe that I know, but I, I don't know of that recipe sure. off the top of my head. Well, it's very warm. I say that. <laughs> Good. Well, that's what, you, <laughs> that's what you need even in even in um, March in Minnesota. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, so since uh this is since we're not in the same room and we're not drinking scotch, there aren't any rules, so Karen gets a break. Yeah. Um she's... but uh yeah, we'll uh, we'll begin talking about the book here in in just a minute. So, Lakhaim uh, slancha. Mm-hmm. Even though our cameras um, are muted to preserve on, like, computing power or whatever, I did instinctively hold my glass up to my camera. I hope you did the same. I I did the same, and then I realized that the camera was <laughs> off and kind of stood there awkwardly for a second, like, I, I'm going to drink it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty much how every toast goes if you're not, like... You know, if you're any anything south of, south of the suave levels of like James Bond, <laughs> you do the toast. You stand there for a second, and then you're like, "Oh, right, I'm drinking this now." Yep, this is this is gonna go in my mouth, and here, yep, here it goes. <laughs> now I'm breaking eye contact. I mean, just any instance when you're breaking eye contact. Yeah, yeah, like it's an awkward moment. Actually, I think a lot of 
Um, I know Karen said the, the way that they toasted in Ukraine when she was there, you just maintained eye contact for the whole drink. Um, I think that's the way in, in several other yes, cultures Yes, I've well. heard of that. Uh, yeah, which, which, like, seems like weird. solving one, like, social awkwardness problem while at the same time creating another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, just interacting with people is weird. <laughs> well, we've we've solved that one for the moment. Yep. <laughs> uh, so this story, the Canterville yeah. Ghost by Oscar Wilde. I did. Um, sorry, one more thing. I yeah. did like do a salty Facebook post like a week ago already when we were recording this about how no one wants to hear your COVID nineteen jokes anymore because like they've all already <laughs> been done. But you know, when it's when it's a fact of life. I don't you know. know. I guess I guess I could hide behind the fact that like I don't consider myself good at comedy. So are these really jokes, or am I just saying stuff? Um. Anyway, sorry. We, you were. Do you people were... still laugh if you remove the laugh track? That's <laughs> that's the the test. If Tim Allen makes a bad joke in a forest and no laugh track is there to hear him, um... <laughs> is it comedy? <laughs> Uh yes, I feel a musical number is in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> anyway, you had done a very valiant job of like actually starting to talk about what we're here to talk about, and I just getting us on getting us on task. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I was very pleased to discover when we were discussing this. You know, I'd never read this story before, but my wife uh, I mentioned it to her, and she said, "Oh, I think we have that." And she went into our kids' room and found that, yes, we have a, a beautifully illustrated copy of The Canterville Ghost, uh, illustrated by Lisbeth Zwerger. Okay. Um, which, as I understand it, uh, this was originally illustrated for the uh, for a Switzerland edition. Oh. A Swiss Interesting. Version. Um, but then was just put to the English text sure. in the United States. That's that's as far as my research, my very skim-bound research <laughs> took me. But I love the illustrations in this. I'm I'm going to turn my video on just to share some with you, Ethan, and maybe I'll yeah. I'll put some on the the website, but like I mean you've I'll got the the dancing with the cover. ghost on the cover. Oh, there you are. And the 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 first illustration you see is of the family moving into the manor and you've got the the fog coming over and everything yeah, that's that's beautiful like, I, i'm super, beautiful watercolor things i'm super jealous of happening. this edition does it seem like it's recent enough that maybe it could be available online somewhere like um maybe... possibly the illustrations are copyright 1986 okay and this particular edition was published in 1996 okay i was just wondering if we could maybe put like a link like an amazon link or some other i i will do what i can because these these illustrations really did enhance everything yeah no (laughs) i mean this this question may be for my benefit even more so than anyone else's yeah yeah neat yeah it's it's just delightful yeah but yeah so i'd never read this story before um but was very happy to read something uh relatively brief by oscar wilde that i'd never encountered before yeah i did read it all in in one sitting oh yeah um because it's you know short short story um laughing to myself in the uh caribou coffee where i was sitting (laughs) (laughs) as i was going along because it's very funny it is very funny Um, it's yeah delightful can i just start by uh mentioning that oscar wilde does a very oscar wilde thing at the beginning Uh uh-huh um, I mean, it starts out, and you if you didn't know it was Oscar Wilde, you would probably very quickly be able to tell that it was Oscar Wilde. Right. Uh, it's it's very much his humor. Um, it, just with the, um, the, the, the sentence structure and everything, it starts out, the very first sentence, When Mr. Hiram B. Otis, the American minister, bought Canterville Chase, everyone told him he was doing a very foolish thing, as there was no doubt at all that the place was haunted. <laughs> As far as opening sentences go, that's a wonderful one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you, you get the, the premise already. I mean, the story is called The Canterville Ghost, so you've got the idea already that this is going to be a ghost story. Right. Um, but then you get this juxtaposition of cultures, the, the American minister coming 
back to the old world. Yes. Um, and there are jokes made about that throughout all of this too. Um, that, I mean, there's some, you're, you're all very natural in America. And yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Um, it reminded, that bit reminded me of nothing so much as, uh, in Midnight in Paris, this, this Woody Allen movie where, uh, mm. um, Owen Wilson's character gets like sucked through some kind of time portal and, and ends up with like the Hemingway and Fitzgerald and the American expats in 1920s nope. Paris and like he ends up trying to explain this this phenomenon to like Salvador Dali and nope. one or two of the <laughs> other guys and they t- they treat it as like oh yeah obvious obviously this is what's happened and the line that nope. Owen Wilson's character like, well of course you understand you're surrealists yeah he he basically says well yeah you're surrealists like this this is normal to you as if there are these different segments of people for whom reality is meant to be just like completely different from the other segments um and it's it's a similar it's a similar thing here like of course you wouldn't you wouldn't have ghosts in america like right you're 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 in america America. um i think also i think oscar wilde possibly out of a lack of interest though maybe out of a satirical intent um that i i think he sort of was intentionally vague and satirical about the uh uh minister's actual like specific um denomination Denomination. yeah i i think there there's a hint to it later though um and i did research and i i I lost my notes but um he's uh from a an episcopal branch Um, oh so is that is that branch real like is that a real yeah yeah, um Yes, yes, and it. Oh, uh, I looked okay. at the publication date on this story, and that Episcopal branch would have come out, or would have been founded something like 15 years before this story oh, came out see, in the United States, in New England. Sure. I did not bother to... Oh, here we go. Free American Reformed Episcopalian Church? Yeah, and it is it is something almost exactly like that. No, that's, that's, I'm, I'm that's... literally reading the, the text, so it is exactly oh, like that. I promise. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a. Yep. Does yours have the the section numbers, like the chapter numbers? No, mine doesn't have chapter numbers. In fact, oh, okay. uh, the the one thing I'll say against this, I mean, there there are some dropped caps and things sure. um, to delineate sections. But the one thing I'll say against this edition is there are no page numbers. Oh, that's upsetting. Yeah. Well, which I mean, if you just remember where ahead. certain illustrations are, <laughs> you say by that illustration, <laughs> a few pages before that one, or between these two illustrations. But, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I was I was going to say, um, probably be a page break then. There's one where it says, the next morning when the Otis family met at breakfast, and the this uh, name is in the paragraph following that one. Um, where the, where Yes. Uh, anyway. Yep, there, I see it. I found it. Yeah, it's pre- uh, by the illustration of, um, what's the daughter's name? Um, oh. She's uh, walking away from... Yes. Uh, the family looking at the the blood stain on the the carpet and it's a different color. Yes, there, um, there you can see it. It's beautiful. Oh, I'm not looking at my camera. Hang on. You should look at your camera. I should. Oh, it is. Oh, that's very beautiful. Yep, that's a, yep, yeah, yep. that's that's like a very good moment to capture, but it's quite specific right? too. I, I appreciate so good. the choice even to capture that. Um. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Virginia. Gonna, that's her name. Yes. Yes, of course, it's for yes, Virginia. Of course, it is. Um, was I, gonna, I was I was going to say that I, I appreciate the fact that you took the time to like do that research because um, I just assumed it was just word salad that he was just sort of a, um, <laughs> you know, just like Ray Bradbury does this in a few of his stories, where especially ones that take place in the future, and he posits like mergers between like branches of Hinduism and the Presbyterian Church, so you get these very baroque like. You know, the, oh sure, the first reformed branch of the the new Hindu Presbyterian Church or whatever. Um, and I assume Doesn't uh, Dune doing something do that similar too? here. What's his name? Um, yes, Frank yeah. Herbert. Yeah, yeah. There's stuff like that. Frank Herbert. Doing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, again, I assumed Oscar Wilde was just doing something like that here, but it almost it almost feels like he's still doing it, and it's but it's just like heightened by the fact that this is real, but it seems false. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, the point I was going to make was, like, 
and I, I think it still stands just knowing what I know of the history of American religion, especially in the latter half of the 19th century. And mm-hmm. um, it's probably very much that, that like American, like, like Puritan inflected, like uh, Calvinist Protestantism um, that as far as aesthetics, which is the chief thing that Oscar Wilde is usually interested in, usually seems very austere, almost the opposite of, like, uh, a centuries-old European Catholicism with a lot of, like, uh, um, pomp and circumstance and pageantry. This is, like, the opposite of that. Um, Yeah. So it it struck me, at least, as as though Wilde was sort of juxtaposing um, that, that, like, Protestant work ethic American religion with, like, the uh, the type of at least Catholic inflected um, European tradition that 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 sort of ha- would have room for ghosts and other you know specters and and, mm. and spirits and so forth. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. Well. It's. I, I, I want to jump to to kind of an impression I got overall from from this story and just the the humor in it and the situation because it it starts out with with something you know even as he's being very satirical about this whole thing from from the very start and very Oscar Wilde in his humor yes um, it starts out as more or less your run of the mill ghost story yes. haunted house thing and then that quickly turns itself on its head. Um, when the 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 ghost is uh, after a while anyway ultimately just accepted as a reality by this american family um and they're like well i guess yeah he exists so all right we'll we'll live with it and (laughs) they take it very matter of fact right and from that point on the only thing i could think of to compare it to was beetlejuice (laughs) have you seen beetlejuice i have not seen beetlejuice Um, i mean it's it's a weird movie because tim burton but anyway um, and I, I can't, as I read on in this, I, I can't help but think Tim Burton must have read this book, uh, or this story, uh, just sure. because it's the whole idea that the the ghost is the scary thing, but all of a sudden the ghost is being haunted by the living. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, which is definitely in his interactions with the twins that kind of make up the meat of like the middle section of the story. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's very much what's what's happening to mm-hmm. the point that he's almost driven, driven sort of mad or, uh, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. driven driven to the sort of despair or or borderline madness that, um, wild in in digressions that are very much sort of out of like the sort of gothic fiction that um, Jane mm-hmm. Austen was making fun of in Northanger Abbey already nearly a hundred years before this, um. <laughs> you know the 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 it's it those are those stories are like in there sort of embedded in the text but only as like fodder for sort of reversal um fodder you know the this wasn't like the time that blah 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 blah, blah. and then you know you summarize wild summarizes sort of the plot of a of a gothic novel or at least a gothic short story from 100 years before yeah <laughs> Oh uh, yes, and like you get some of that too with uh, the the ghost making statements. Uh, I'm trying to find one, for example, like you know, at least so and so had the decency to be afraid, and you know, for her hair to turn white or something when I right. showed up. And you people are so reckless, and <laughs> um, right. yeah, uh, it's it's just funny. It's funny. <laughs> Um, like one of the funniest moments, at least for me anyway, was, um, when, uh, the, the twins constructed a fake ghost to, to scare him away. And the the paragraph begins, never having seen a ghost before, he naturally was terribly frightened. Right. (laughs) This ghost being afraid of another ghost because he's never seen a ghost before. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, I was looking up because... My level of research is where, uh, as we're recording the episode, I type in something to Google that I had meant to look up before and <laughs> didn't do. But um, 
I I don't know if yours has this actually. So my my edition of this is just in a one volume, uh, complete works of Oscar Wilde that I picked up for like, it says six dollars on the back at a at a bookstore years and years ago, like when I was in high school. Um, and it's like twelve hundred pages long, but it it does manage to have you know, as far as I know anyway, his his complete published works and some letters and things. Um. But so this is just, you know, another short story entry for me in this volume. But um, in my volume, uh, you have the Canterville Ghost as a as a title. And then as a subtitle below that, it says a Hilo idealistic romance. Um, Does does yours have have that at all? No, no. Okay. Mine doesn't say that anywhere. Um, So. Uh. As far as I can tell, the the um the this term comes from a like spiritualist cult of some kind that was uh sort of popular, maybe even even um fashionable um at the end of uh the the nineteenth century. Um hmm. and at least uh some of the uh 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 definitions of it have to do with it being that um reality exists because we believe in it um ah interesting yeah which i don't does that does that uh uh okay so according to um an article from the irish or from the Irish dramatist, um, that this this story is sort of a satire on the idea of Hilo idealism. Um, hmm. So, I, I I don't know. I guess if I were teaching this as as an English, uh, you know, if I were back in English in lit teacher mode, right, I would probably. Um, First of all, make my students do what I did not do and actually read through the articles before I was talking about the topic. But, you know, maybe uh, have them look at, like, to what extent is the reality created or even changed by someone believing in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, it strikes me as maybe, like, a, a reversal of a reversal that Wilde almost is saying, if a ghost was real, like would it matter if you believed in him and if you and if it did like how would that change the relationship um sure huh i don't know it seems like it's go ahead that 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 title and that uh that idea um of of that philosophy or or whatever um of what hilo Hi, hi, how's that spelled? H y h y l o dash idealism. Oh, okay, so hilo ideal idealism, hilo idealism. Okay, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. If I had, I forgot it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it it's <laughs> making me think a couple of things. Like, okay, is that something that? Um, I mean, you, when you think of the the Americans, as soon as they agree that the ghost is an objective fact then yeah they'll believe in him and so he's part of their reality um and then like i'm thinking too of the story structure because it begins with this kind of just farcical romp um coming on the heels of of the the ghost story premise yeah Um, which is but then you get the whole prophecy that the ghost had about you know Um, how he could yeah um how he could be released um and right. uh, around there too is is virginia's courtship and and marriage and and all that and um right. so you get that that sort of romance in there too but so the ghost is more or less convinced that he's never going to be released right and then he recites this um uh this or he has her does he have her recite the the prophecy um yeah i think she reads it off or yes. and, and reads it off 
Yeah, when a golden girl can win prayer from out the lips of sin, when the barren almond bears and a little child gives away its tears, then shall all the house be still and peace come to Canterville. Yes. Um, and she says, I don't know what they mean. And then he tells her what they mean, but also is telling her that, you know, he doesn't think it can be done. And she then says, no, I'm going to do it. Right. It's maybe taking this American idea, this... um individualism this you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps idea that you know i can do it because i'm a pioneer um and ascribing it to something older or somehow merging the the old world and the new a little bit i yeah. think um in in all of this because as soon as she decides no this can be done then it is she right. she does it and um then the reality changes and it becomes a happy ending because that's more or less what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one, like, it's interesting that you bring up this sort of shift. Cause that was like one of the things I was keeping in my back pocket to ask you what you thought of. Um, and maybe you've already sure. sort of answered that at least to some extent, but like, uh, I read, I read this, I, I pretty much sort of, I, I want to say I bought the complete works of wild when I was in like maybe my junior year of high school. And I sort of piecemeal read through it over the course of the following year. Um, and I've read very little Oscar Wilde since then. Like I've revisited a couple, a couple of his works maybe. Um, and uh, so I remembered the Canterville ghost being hilarious and being just like, just adoring it at the time. Um, but I couldn't remember how it ended when I was coming back to it. Mm. And I think it's because the parts that I would have liked when I was 17 years old or whatever, um, were that first two thirds that is very <laughs> heavily satirical. Um, because you, you know, you mentioned that like yes. the first third or so, like seems like a typical ghost story setup, but like, that's what you do when you get to like a satire of a genre, right? Like you, yep. you, uh, you write the first part of it sort of, pretty straightforward at least a lot of times that's how you would do it in order to then like twist it on its head um right then overturn that whole thing exactly you set up the set up as expectations and you pay them off in a completely unexpected way um Mm -hmm. so like those first two thirds make sense and work together and as i was reading through this uh when you get to that that flip um which if anyone has chapterized versions it's it's at the end of chapter five out of, I think, seven chapters that my um, my edition has a has the story separated into. Um, after that, it becomes a much like a much more a, a story with a lot more gravitas or a lot more sort of mythological um, elements to it. Yes. Um, Wild wrote a series of short stories that I think he published as as a book that all have they're in sort of the mode of what the last third or so of the story comes comes into um Michael have you ever read the uh the selfish giant or um selfish giant is a is a famous one I think um can't remember what the other ones are off the top I'm trying to find them here quick and I'm not because I'm hurrying, I'm not, you know, doing it obviously. But um, <laughs> he he has a series of like children's stories that are very sort of symbolist. Um, mm. The uh, at, at one point, like the selfish giant, you know, has this garden that he doesn't want his his kids to get into, um, or the the neighbor kids rather to get into. And then at one at some point, he like lets them in and. Um, that changes him. Oh, the Happy Prince is the the title story of that collection. Oh. Um, and um, like I haven't read it, but I I think Sarah has, and she has told me to. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then ultimately, I want to say the the Selfish Giant, like he through a series of events, he like ends up lying down with his arms stretched out, and like flowers grow up from the place that he died or something like it's this very heavily symbolist and like there's like Mm. six stories in that collection and at least three of them i recall having like very like 
blatant, non-subtle, almost ornate Christ symbolism. Um, cool. In them. And, like, this last third of the story, like, it's it's almost... And this, this I guess, was the question that I had for you, Michael. Um, yeah. And as usual, it's taking me 8 to 12 minutes to ask it. But um, it almost feels like Oscar Wilde, like, set out to write a satire on, like, the gothic genre or, like, the type of ghost stories that were still fairly popular, you know, at the time that he would have been writing. Um, and then, like, two-thirds of the way through, he, like got bored or grew emotional and just decided to end the story in a in tonally a completely different way um yeah i I see that i i also think there are a couple other possibilities to it um i could see him having kind of a love-hate relationship with such ghost stories yeah and that being embodied here in this that you know, the, the idea of a ghost story and the redemption of the ghost, especially when you bring up some of those other symbolist stories where he he can be kind of a sap. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that's that comes through here. So um, I, I don't know if he had the ending in mind to start with, but then along the way it was just like, no, I just want to write this stupid, funny thing and make fun of ghost stories because they're dumb. Yeah. But well, then, no, I can't get away from it. <laughs> um i I don't know oh yeah yeah Um, i don't yeah well i don't know which came first on that well that's that's the other thing that it kind of felt like to me and again like it feeling a certain way to me has not necessarily anything to do with like the reality of how the composition worked but it almost felt like he just sort of just did one of those things where you sort of set out to write you start out to write a story and you don't know where it's gonna end up but you're just sort of going with it and like sure for whatever reason at that point in the story like this is just where sort of the the spirit of the narrative led him as it were um Mm -hmm. well and i i want to say too because i i I don't think it's a clumsy shift you know it's it's a very clear shift but i think it's natural i think it flows uh and I, i i i do want to respect oscar wilde's um masterful craft in the way he builds this story too because he's set this whole thing up from the beginning um with describing the whole family and you've got this this girl named virginia right (laughs) right Uh, and she's set apart from the rest of the family repeatedly which is you know a little bit of a chekhov's gun there right that um if she's set apart and she's different she's got to have a big role to play later um sure in in the conclusion here and so it's it's a very natural thing that you know while the whole family is behaving in this absurd slapstick almost way especially the twins right um she's in the background watching being uncomfortable about it yeah Uh, and so you're waiting for the time that she will go and talk to the ghost herself which ultimately she does and you more or less are already expecting exactly how that's going to go um maybe not all the details but you get the impression yes she's going to be sympathetic toward him somehow she's going to offer him the solution that um, is that is true and that's like probably one of the things that kept me from just like harshly judging the story as just like the the whim of you know someone who could publish whatever he wants who wasn't being very careful (laughs) because like even like as early as the rest of the family is set up as characters in as much as they are like virginia's there and she kind of like what it makes me think of is a trope in like teenager movies where um, oh sure you have like the popular kids like picking on the nerd boy right um but like there's one yep one and, and she's usually pretty girl <laughs> yes i was gonna say she's usually the prettiest of the popular girls but like even though she's sort of going along with it or she's not stopping it anyway she's like in the background of the scene with her arms crossed and like conflict is written on her face. And then of course she becomes the one that, you know, the the main romantic interest and, and so forth. And like, that's exactly brought out from that one painting in, in this copy that I had, that I showed you with them all by the mantle. And there's Virginia walking away with her arms crossed conflict written all over her face. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe that's, maybe that's actually where I got that specific image, but I think it also is in the, in the type of movie that I, 
that I was talking about too. Like is, is there, I mean, you know, maybe the painter got got it from that or other movies using similar tropes and um, everything yeah, well, is self-referential. It's a Beauty and the Beast kind of situation you too. Know, you know how that goes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, um, just like I, I don't want to do a full-blown names with Michael, but the the name Virginia <laughs> is very telling here. Right. Um, right. Because it's you know the name the the word virgin is in there. It's it's Virginia is derived from that word. Right. And so you've got this this um, virgin girl who's the perfect prey for the dare I say it vampire in the story. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> Man, I'm upset we didn't get Karen in here to read the rules. <laughs> um, and so, uh, like, of course, that like she she is the opposite to him. Yes, in a lot of ways, which which means the reconciliation, the conclusion in the story has to happen between those two. Right, um, and I, as far as the name Virginia goes, like you're right, there is there, and there is that like weird Victorian, pretty problematic fixation well, with like purity yeah. and virgin girls and like that having some power um and we could you know we could do another <laughs> right. half hour on like how weird and bad that is in a lot of ways um but yeah. <laughs> at the same time um a thing that would resonate for wild audience that may get lost in you know 21st century america um is the fact that virginia also has connotations of the virgin queen elizabeth yes um who is and that's very, where the state comes from <laughs> yeah is it's is elizabeth of course is a very complex figure but she is also um a very powerful figure and a, had a very powerful hold on the uh british and indeed english speaking sort of psyche especially at the time she continues to have it to some extent okay. but not nearly to the extent that she would in the in the victorian era when you had a second very powerful sort of female head yeah. of state um you know what was i just reading that was talking about her as the virgin queen and how oh wait was that one of our next books oh yes yes it probably was <laughs> that's where it's from yeah yes <laughs> Yeah, that's in uh, A Dream of Perpetual Emotion. Yes, yes, that, it is. Uh, that, that's discussed a little bit. So I won't go into that too much now because we'll we'll talk about that later because that's hitting on some of the major themes oh, no, in that no, no, book. No, no. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, which of course do you know go back to both uh, uh, the Victorian era very largely, but also the Elizabethan era with the the Tempest references. And like you said, we're not yes. talking about that book yet. No, we're not talking about that book. Uh, we're talking about this, but yes, that uh, the, there, there's a lot to that. This this idea of this um, mysterious, unobtainable power in this girl, yes, is is definitely there, and she's she's got to be. Um, aside from the fact that there's a ghost walking around, she's the most interesting figure, yes, because of the the mystery and the unknowableness of her right yeah yeah <laughs> so um, what i'm saying is of course of course that's that's uh how it's going to resolve so the, right. the shift um so, so it, you think it needed to be there and it was in it and it natural sense, yeah. i think yeah. yeah um yeah i mean yeah and the other thing the the caveat that i have even when i was sort of taking 17 minutes to ask you these questions um <laughs> is that like as much as oscar wilde you know would be one of those writers who just sort of wrote a story and like let it go where it would um he was also a very careful writer like he took great pride in yeah you know taking care with his with anything that he published to the best of his ability like um i think it's actually maybe in one of the letters in this uh this volume that i um that i have mentioned uh where he says something about like he's he's writing to some you know friend of his and he says like spent all morning revising a poem which meant that i spent the first half of the mo morning rereading the poem completely i think it was a, a, a rather long poem but rereading it completely taking out a single comma and then <laughs> I spent the second half of the morning rereading again and deciding to put back that comma. 
Um, so in other words, like, love Oscar Wilde, right? Um, in other words, you know, if, even if he had composed his first draft this way, like we're, we're just sort of letting the, the spirit lead him as it were, um, his second, like when he revised, I would expect him to do what, you know, any good conscientious fiction writer should do, um, and Mm -hmm. make the, whatever ending he had come up with, make it inevitable and make it you know, work from the beginning. Um, right. So I guess... Which, like, yeah, it could have been the sort of thing where, you know, he's writing this farce and he's like, this needs to go somewhere. Yeah. And then he created the character of Virginia and then put her back in in the first half. Right. And it, it um, sort of doesn't matter because as one of our... Right. Uh, like, like, that's... I'm, I'm concluding maybe maybe the ultimate answer based on the text at hand is that it, the answer to this doesn't so much matter, which is fine. No, it's the it's right. the friends it, it who make along the way that are because this part is this is the the work that we've come up with and he created it one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Right. Um. But uh, I was gonna say something else about that. Oh, I was yeah. I was just gonna reference our uh, one of our old English teachers, Doctor Hannah, um, well-renowned mm-hmm. Dickens scholar, who's one of one of whose like primary principles for interpretation. I was going to say interpretating fiction, um, which I shall not do, yep. um, was <laughs> that, you know, if a thing is in a text, the author gets credit for it being in there, even if, you know, yeah. e- even over and against considerations of like, well, he couldn't have meant it that way, like, whatever. Like, if it's in the text, it's it's in the text. If it's he there, credit for it. he did it. Yeah. Um, Accidental genius is still genius. Exactly. Uh, a, a phrase I yell at my wife every morning. Um, but, um, oh, I just, the other thing I just wanted um, to, I, I, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to tie up another thing about, uh, Virginia here because, oh, yes. um, so with, with the name like Virginia, you, you know, have that virgin queen attitude, but she does get married in the end. Right. But even there, um, like her character is still the same sort of mysterious thing she it, yeah. it ends it closes with a conversation between her and her husband yeah um where he says to her virginia a wife should have no secrets from her husband and she says dear cecil i have no secrets from you yes you have he answered smiling you have never told me what happened to you when you were locked up with the ghost which of course is the same like last loose end that is on the reader's mind yes uh, at this time too and she says i have never told anyone cecil said virginia gravely i know that but you might tell me Please don't ask me, Cecil. I cannot tell you. Poor Sim- poor Simon, I owe him a great deal. Yes, don't laugh, Cecil. I really do. He made me see what life is with a capital L, and what death signifies with a capital D, and why love is stronger than both with a capital L. The Duke rose and kissed his wife lovingly. You can have your secret as long as I have your heart, he murmured. You have always had that, Cecil. And you will tell our children someday, won't you? Virginia blushed. So it ends with her getting to keep this secret and yes. everyone being okay with her keeping the secret because it's better for her to have it than for it to be revealed because anything that would be revealed is less wonderful and amazing and beautiful than the unknown. Yes. <laughs> and I do want to circle back to that in just a second um, because I think it'll it'll... Looking at our time signatures oh, okay. right now, I think it'll tie off the episode nicely, um, or not nicely, Perfect. as the case may be. But uh, before that, I did want to mention something that you uh, brought up, like uh, when you were first sort of responding to my long-winded question. Um, that I, I just want to <laughs> sort of emphasize, I guess, is that like you were talking about, maybe he has a love-hate. Wild has a love-hate relationship with this genre of ghost story. Um, yeah. And I think you made a lot of good points about that, but the the one that it made me think of is just the fact that, like, you don't put enough time in to write, like, what in my version is a solid, like, 20, 25 page, you know, mm-hmm. of, like, sort of normal hard hardcover uh, um, text. Like, you don't put in the time and effort to write that much text in a genre that you purely hate, right? Like, if you, if you just completely yeah, right. despised something, you would just stay away from it. Um, so I just I just wanted to to sort of emphasize that, um, and now I want to come back to the thing that you were just talking about about her secret, um, and I do have another question for you, Michael, on this particular topic. Cool. Was it sex? 
<laughs> okay. Because, and this I admit is because I am a <gasps> terrible, corrupt human being. Um, like, if you read that last little conversation, like, it could easily be sex, right? Like, uh... I mean, yes? And I do think, to be... It could be? To be clear, I do think that's, like, the most, like, banal, surface-level, like, cheap, low-hanging fruit reading of that conversation. Right, um, but, I mean, if if you want to take my whole vampire metaphor... Exactly, yeah, that's two, actually, it's, I thought of that. It's right in line with it, um... The thing is, it doesn't have to be sex for it to be sex. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I've read reading so, literature like a professor. Yeah, there you go, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> that's exactly the point. <laughs> um, yes, so, I mean, you've got the, the, the these tropes, these themes, these ideas of the, the, the innocent being yeah uh, as the one who can defeat the great evil right um he can turn all that aside um yeah so i mean that's that's it's it's tied in there well yeah I, and you know it's that it's that like uh oh what's the german german phrase um death it's like that death and the maiden trope right um mm. where it's sort of a a uh ancient sort of archetype where you have like the picture of like virginity and innocence and then the picture of like corruption and death and somehow they have to come together like that almost goes yeah. back to like you know your greek gods and goddesses and some of the, the like um greek pantheon stuff you know that came out of some of their right potentially came out of some of their like mystery religions or whatever or fed into their mystery right. religions and everything is a reference to everything else but um <laughs> so it definitely has uh, that everything like, is self-referential yes um it definitely has that like overtone to it i would say um mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i guess i guess uh i was wondering how you interpreted that like it seems like a leading question to say what is that if it's not sex but um yeah, I guess that but that's like that's an unfair question too because yes, it is, what absolutely. is it if it's not is it's whatever it has to be. Yeah, it's do you, it's, it's a nothing. it's a do you still beat your wife type of question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and I mean, like, if nothing else, like this may be Oscar Wilde still bringing the satire back around in a really sort of complex and sophisticated way. Because, like, you know, you mentioned that this, this last conversation is the question that's on the reader's mind. And that little question is just, like, you know, just sort of waved in front of the reader the way you wave a, a red cape at a bull, if that was how bullfighting worked in reality, which I'm not sure if it is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's really just, like, flagged out there. And then you could also just, just view this last conversation as Oscar Wilde just emphasizing that there's, like, something here that he knows that you do not know and you will never know like it's like mystery right. um as much as the the introduction to picture of dorian gray talks about art for art's sake this is like mystery for mystery's mm -hmm. sake right and like it, it does tie right in with that same philosophy of art for art's sake because yes. is it beautiful then stop asking questions about it and just let it be beautiful right yes <laughs> and sort of like you said almost yeah. any answer would be almost like less interesting than the question itself yeah like it, it makes me think of and i think that's more or less where he wants to leave it like yeah. i i don't even know that oscar wilde had an idea in mind of what happened like he maybe could have come up with something and made something work but i don't think he himself wants to know what happened since i can't resist psychoanalyzing dead authors um and living authors for that matter uh I suspect that he did not. I suspect that this mystery, creating this mystery box was the entirety of his intention. Um, and yeah. I would also say that if he did have an answer in mind, there is none of it on the page. Like, you know, exactly. Gene, Gene Wolfe. So he doesn't get credit for it. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> I love that. 
Um, I was going to say, Gene Wolfe, an author we have talked about, possibly ad nauseum on this podcast, uh, he, you know, he's famous for his mystery boxes, even in his short stories. Like, yeah. You have a five-page story that you still have to read three or four times to figure out what's actually going on. Um, yep. uh, but when the mystery is there to be solved, he does put just enough of it on the page for you to at least make a guess. Like yeah. you, unless he's committed it to writing somewhere, you might not ever know for sure. And the mystery box still kind of is the point there, but it's at least he gives you enough information that like the contents of this box could be A, B, C, or D. Um, whereas this, this one really gives you, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't even give you enough to think that it's sex. Like if, if I was doing a close reading, I would point out that, you know, this was after the honeymoon and, um, you know, with Victorian mores being what they were like, um, you know, the, her husband probably would have, he probably would have asked the questions very differently if he had any inkling that that's actually what it was. Um, right, right. Which leaves us back at zero. We have zero idea what this was. Right. It's just some sort of thing that happened to transform death into life by the power of love. Yes, which, again, is sort which, of the actual point. That's... <laughs> yep. Which is also, like, yep. of course, very biblical. And, you know... Yeah, you can you can interpret that ties any... right in with those symbolist things. Yes, and I was gonna say you can t- interpret that any number of ways, especially if you're just looking at this text and not looking at like the Happy Prince or the Selfish Giant. Um, you right. know, from like wild pandering to sort of Victorian, you know, theological moral moralism, on up to any number of less sort of cynical uh, interpretations. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's all I have about that. Well, that's that's all I had to say about the the story. Okay, um, convenient. So, is that? Uh, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll quit there and go on to uh, our ratings. So um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think we normally do like the star rating for our drinks, but uh, yeah. do you want to give a rating? Um, I mean, I really like the uh, the. I'm pretty sure it's called the Country Club. It's either that or the Clover Club, but I think the Clover Club is a different cocktail. Um, Hmm. There were so many clubs 100 to 150 years ago, and every single one of them had to have its own cocktail, so it's confusing. But anyway, (laughs) uh, whichever one it is, yeah, if you happen to have uh, these four ingredients sitting around, your your white rum, your dry vermouth, your triple sec, and your orange bitters, like, it's super, super worth a try. It's like, for something with a white rum base, it's a completely unexpected flavor. Cool. How about you, Michael? How did you? Um, how would you? Yeah, mine. Uh, it was very good. I mean, like I said, it's warm. It's yummy. <laughs> that, like, I I could and I I drank it straight, but I could also or not straight, but um um, no ice. What what am I trying to did say? Did you did you mix it with um, ice first? Just no ice. Nope. Oh, nope. Okay. oh okay. I stirred it. Nice. Um. So I think that and, is straight, uh, no isn't ice, it? No ice, and it was... Is that straight? I, I think... thought straight is, like, nothing mixed in. Oh, it but... might be. I, yeah. I, I I talk a good game about my cocktails, but I do not know all of my terminology <laughs> like I should, so... Anyway, it's, it, it, it was, it was drunk, you know, room temperature and stirred, um, and that was wonderful. Nice. I could also see it being shaken over ice and or, um, drunk over ice. Sure. Um either way um and it would be just a wonderful just simple drinking experience all at once and it's very good um so the the i i do have enough of the the nitpicky of me to say that um since it's all liquor ingredients you could just stir it over ice and then strain the ice off um you would not have to shake it just because usually and i'll say this in my you know booze cat booze podcast that i eventually start inevitably um but <laughs> you you when something is all liquor you don't usually shake it necessarily just oh. because liquor combines quite easily all right um and there's your we began with some booze facts we ended with some booze facts so perfect yeah 
Um, all right, Ethan, would you like to rate this story by borrow? Forget about it. Um, as much as I do like the story, I guess I'm going to rate it borrow. Uh, mm. partly because, you know, if you, if you find it even online or, or in a, in a library, like, in a, you know, collect an Oscar Wilde collection, like you could, pr- if, if you're willing to make a long enough trip to the library, you could just probably plop down on a library chair, read through this and be done with it. Um, I guess my only caveat to that is if you can get your hands on the edition that Michael has with these very beautiful sort of watercolor uh, illustrations, probably buy that, as I very well may do. Um, <laughs> but for the story itself, I would just say borrow it is, is going to be perfectly adequate. Yes, uh, that's more or less what I was going to say. Uh, I'm going to rate it, borrow it. Uh, I was kind of thinking along the lines of if I were teaching a literature class and had this as part of my curriculum, I would likely just print out yes. a copy to hand out. Or, you know, in this day and age, just give them a, a link to go read it online. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't require the students to have a, a physical copy of this. But not unless I were... if you can find this edition, yeah, um, definitely buy that. I was going to say, no physical copy unless I were having them read, like, a bunch of other of his works. But, yeah, just for this one. Definitely web link, even right. printing it out. Yeah, easily. Easily covers it. Um, the other the other reason for the borrow for me mm-hmm. is, like, it does rely on you being familiar with some, like, 19th century ghost story tropes. Which, like, enough of those sure. have gotten into 20th and 21st century films that, like, it wouldn't be irrational to think that you'd be familiar enough with them to laugh at it but it is a little bit more niche than you know a satirical ghost story written by like stephen king or you michael so that's that's the other reason i say probably probably borrow probably borrows yeah yeah very good um do you want to rate the pairing of your drink in this oh i don't think that worked at all um, I think I was just in the mood for this particular drink when we happen to be recording this podcast. Like, my drink is very bright and like floral sure. and citrusy and orangey between the triple sec and the rum and every and even the the vermouth. Like, um, yeah, it, it was really to match this book. It should have been like a dark whiskey, like, mm-hmm. like an old-fashioned but without any sugar and with more bitters or something maybe that's not right but uh something that See, you... i was thinking along the lines of like you need a a scotch that's aged yes in, uh bourbon barrels yeah that would actually like yeah probably our normal like scotch would have gone much better with this particular yeah, yeah. story but um at the same time it was a delicious story and a delicious drink and i regret nothing mm-hmm <laughs> yeah yeah it's you know they were both delicious do they pair well i don't know i don't <laughs> care they're they're fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all right well thank you gentle listener for for listening along as we discuss the canterville coast um please uh follow along as we uh continue our discussions i'm not sure when this is going to be coming out in the order of things but uh we will be soon discussing um uh, the Light Between Oceans and uh, the A Dream of Perpetual Motion, uh, and we'll be putting those episodes out as well. So read along with those, give us your feedback, tapsterradio.org, uh, go to the contact section there, put comments under the episode on our website there too. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Room with Scotch. Uh, I'm on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Ethan? I am on Twitter at Bjartlet, that's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Um, so long as I am stuck at home not working, I might be tweeting a little more. I do check it much more often than I tweet it, so if you were to tweet at me, um, I'd probably see it. Uh, maybe not in a timely manner, but eventually. So, um, (laughs) yeah, there's, uh, there's that. Yeah. Um, check out the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook, the Facebook group. Request to join, and we'll let you in. Uh, we'll also do your homework, uh, and you can take that homework and turn it into your teachers, and we'll laugh as you are sent to plagiarism jail. Ha <laughs> 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 But seriously, we'll we'll do it. Send us an assignment, and we'll figure it out. We have more time now, I think, uh, <laughs> to do it. So. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, if you like this podcast, check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, Us Play Fiasco, and Pokemon Rollout. Rate and review us and all the other shows on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that helps uh, other people to find it and to enjoy the same content, content uh, and gets, gets our name out there. Um, so, uh, until next time, just remember, it's our party, and we'll cry if we want to. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.